0: Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. What do you think? Very nice. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year, Tom. Happy New Year, Dr. Joe.
1: Happy New Year, Ben.
0: Happy New Year. This is great.
1: And we're going to make this an incredible decade, a new decade. Mm -hmm. I mean, how cool is that? That's right. Remember, everyone wants the same thing. We just want to feel valuable. And... Goodness knows, certainly we can do that at every and any moment in time, just remind someone of their value. Do you realize that? I mean, especially in in the world right now Mm. where there's so much fear, there's so much anger, maybe even so much hate, and yet every one of those people, everyone, whether they're angry or fearful or hateful, they also want the same thing. Mm -hmm. They just want to feel valued by someone. Why are we unable to just do this for each other?
2: It's a pervading feeling of isolation.
1: Oh, okay. what do you mean, Tom?
2: Well, boundaries, you know, multiply over time with technology. I think mm. that accelerated it, and that allows us to see the extremes mm. of human emotion. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I think that impacts people's ICs. How do how do people how do other people see me? Yes. And then when they're seeing the worst of people expressing themselves, they might think, oh. I'm going to return the favor. Yes,
1: that's right. You've tapped into something so true. How does technology also isolate us, even though it's meant to bring us so much closer together? So you think it reveals this darker side of us?
2: I don't even know if I should call it a darker side, just the more intense side that Mm. we feel more... Man, I don't think it's a bad thing to be able to express it, but it's polarizing. And I think without that, the interpersonal connection it becomes like a very easy excuse for a shouting match.
1: You know, that is absolutely true, and I spoke about this in Outsmarting Anger. Um, we, We are social animals, and we really do respond to facial cues, and body cues, you know, body language, all those things. So yes, there's no question in my mind that when we remove that barrier, or that connection, rather, we created this idea. So, you know, Road Rage is a great example. Right? Road rage, would you ever really, if you were in a line at a grocery store or in a line of people uh, and somebody cuts you off, are you really gonna have the same sort of limbic, extreme reaction that you would if somebody cuts you off in traffic? Or are you gonna have a a muted response because the person's right there?
2: You might see that they're distracted by their
1: kid. They could be distracted by their kid. They could be just cutting line because they've gotta get someplace faster but there's still that visceral response that limbic response hey you you imposed on my space you took something of mine you know and now i'm i'm angry with you but when you're driving in a car and someone cuts you off they're faceless yeah they're faceless yeah. and you can start swearing and start saying things and all these truly intense emotions what one of the one of the ways that i Suggest people manage it is again use that IC domain. Remember, that's their I am, they cut you off. It's their I am, best they could do. You don't have to like it. But if you start wondering, God, maybe they have diarrhea,
0: <laughs> you know, maybe they're rushing to the hospital, maybe
1: they're rushing to the hospital, maybe there's some reason other than just taking my space that they need to get there. I remember when, um, when uh, Carol was, was in labor with one of my kids. We It was pretty rushed. We had to rush up. We had to go through a toll booth. And as we're approaching the toll booth, the toll person turns their back on us. This was the days when we still had toll booths. They turned their back purposefully. They saw me rushing up there. They didn't know, of course, that Carol was in labor. They just thought you were a jerk rushing. They thought I was a jerk, and they turned their back. So... I wasn't gonna go through the toll without paying, so I just threw the money at them, oh. and man, that didn't de right answer at all, <laughs> you know? But, we had to get to the hospital, you know, because Carol was in active labor. Right. So it's interesting, right? You, we don't know always why people do these things, but you're absolutely right, Tom, without that cue, without the visual component, or the body language component, our brains do, de- they sort of, they activate quicker. Well, what's your resolution? Well, resolution. Uh, first, let's just talk about the word, right? If you break it down, re-solution, mm-hmm. because the old solution didn't work. So you got to make a new one. You resolve something. So my resolutions are, again, to continue doing the weight loss, because I really... You know, I got off track a little bit. It was my I am, I did, it was the holidays and other things. Uh, I have to think about why did I really do that? There can be all sorts of anxieties. I've got a new job that I've just started. Maybe there are all sorts of different things. But So absolutely, want to be able to do that. I, One of my resolutions is Drug Story Theater. Mm-hmm. I have made a promise that we are gonna have Drug Story Theater in front of every sixth grader and their parent, right, through our video or through uh, being able to get the script out to schools. We're gonna do all of that. Um, and really just you know keep doing what we're doing. Every sixth grader. Every sixth grade in the
0: United States. In the United States. Why
1: not? You know? It. I love it. We just did a couple of, of wonderful shows up in Woburn, you know, with my group. We're, we are scheduled um, to be one of the, the main speakers and um, performance people for the Cambridge Health Alliance. Uh, through their addiction conference. We're going to be the main group for the Massachusetts Nurses Association. So it's wonderful how people are recognizing it. Awesome. And, and it's really, you know, it's the kids that we have. They're so honest. They're so sincere. And it's true. You know, this is this is what happens when you're using drugs and alcohol early on. Um, and
0: we can talk a little bit about, about the brain and why that is. Let's do that because I know we... Um we have talked about it a couple of times, a bunch of times. It's a, it's a major component to the Drug Story Theater show. Um, but Thomas made a nice YouTube clip. So, folks, if uh, you're looking for some great content from the Dr. Joe show, we have a YouTube channel now where Thomas is uh, putting bites of six, eight, ten minutes long. And we did a great one, really, really good piece on the brain development. And as I told you, Dr. Joe, I've uh, been coaching for years and years. And, and for years, I always thought the wheelhouse for me was eight to 12 years olds. But right now I'm coaching um, 16 to 18 year olds. Um, I'm coaching them how to coach, actually. So they're coaching younger kids hmm. skiing. Skiing? Skiing, yep, so I am coaching them Basically, it's a leadership academy. It's a leadership training. How to deal with the kids, and I'm totally using the I.M. approach with Mm -hmm. them every morning um, when we, you know, on the weekends, obviously. um, But every morning we meet, and I'm I'm talking about different things, and and it's all uh, weaving the I.M. But on New Year's Eve night at five thirty, I sent that out to the whole team that eight minute clip, and I said, "Do me a favor, watch this." in its entirety before you step out of the house tonight.
1: Mm,
0: Yes, good. And the feedback was, it was a little bit complicated. Really? So let's break this down in a way that's not as complicated. So your message is what? Wait. Wait.
1: Just wait until your brain is more developed before you start using if you're gonna use it all. You know, and I'm certainly not endorsing people using, but here's the dilemma. Because the way our brain matures, if you start using drugs or alcohol after the age of 21, one out of 25 people are at risk for lifelong addiction. But if you start using before the age of 18, that number goes from one in 25 to one in four. Wow! Just think about that, one in four. So the reason is because the brain is largely divided into three parts. And within each part there are different functions, but the basic division is brain stem, which is the most ancient part of the brain, it's the bottom part of the brain, the stem of the brain, which is responsible for everything automatic. Breathing, heart rate, Things that you're not even thinking about. We're all using it right now, but we're not thinking about breathing. You know, sometimes we do, but right now we're not. So the brainstem is ready to go at birth. It is mature enough to sustain life in a little baby. If a brainstem is not mature enough to sustain life in a little baby, more likely than not that baby dies, and that genetic component stops because you can't have another baby. Right. The next part of the brain that evolved over millions of years was the limbic system. This part of the brain sits on top of the brain stem and it is responsible for emotions, for irrational thought, for impulses, for feelings, for pleasure, for memory. This is the part where addictions also live. And then sitting on top of that is this huge part of the brain that really distinguishes mammals. So the limbic system and the brainstem are like the reptilian brain, the lizard brain. And then the neocortex, neo is neocortex brain. The new brain distinguishes us as mammals and especially a part right behind your forehead, the prefrontal cortex. That part- And that's part, the last to develop. That is really the last to mature. Right. It's it's a little, It's I mean it's there at birth, right. Right. but it is not matured. That's the part responsible for rational thought for solving problems, executing a plan, and anticipating what will happen next. So, when that part of the brain is not mature, the adolescent is a limbic, impulsive brain and can start using drugs without thinking about the future and what will happen next. And so that's why in drugs-free theater, that's really the message we're sending to kids. Please, just wait until your brain is older. And we believe, truly believe, that the more a kid knows about their brain, and we teach about it in Drugs free theater, the less likely they are to give it away to drugs and alcohol. Right. Why would you want to give away this incredibly cool part of who you are? So that's the idea. Brain stem, limbic system, neocortex, prefrontal cortex in particular. How many times have you done something impulsively, limbically, and slapped your forehead, going, Oh, what was I thinking? As if you're trying to jumpstart your prefrontal cortex.
0: That wasn't clicking on all cylinders at the time. Right. So That's right. let's talk about ages, right? So as your brain matures, as your body matures, as as time goes on, 12, 13, 14 years old, you're, you're maturing from the bottom up. That's right. right
1: from the bottom yes. of the brain up. So and, the bottom
0: and wh- of the brain is where the
1: limbic system is, where... So the limbic system is sort of in the middle of the brain, mm-hmm. deep in the middle of the, the very bottom is that brain stem that goes right to the spinal cord. Yep. It's like, imagine an ice cream cone, Okay. Right? So the spinal cord is the ice cream cone, the first scoop of ice cream is the brain stem, second scoop of ice cream is the limbic system, third scoop of
0: ice cream is the neocortex with the new brain. And it matures from the bottom up. That's right. So if you're maturing from the bottom up and you're spontaneously reacting as a 16-year-old because the top scoop of ice cream is not yet there, yep. you're running the risk of actually damaging those top scoops of ice cream also, yes, right?
1: that's right. You are running the risk of damaging it because the limbic system can really take control of your brain. And what we were talking about earlier about, you know, road rage or these angry things, that is the limbic system taking control of your brain. And we can do things completely irrationally where we're just so angry about something that we just do things without thinking what will happen next, and we've all done it. How many times have you had an argument with somebody that you really care about and wish you had not said what you said because you were limbic.
2: Okay. That happens a lot as a teenager.
1: Happens a lot as a teenager. That's right.
2: And I think Because when they're limbic, they're not just seeking the pleasure of drugs and alcohol. They also want to express their independence. Yep. So how do they quench that thirst without destroying their own bodies?
1: And that's what Drugs for Theater is trying to teach them. Teenagers want three things. Take risks, feel pleasure, and be social. Avoid pain. And unfortunately, that's a setup for addiction. But it's also a setup for being on a sports team for doing drama,
0: for being, you know. Excelling and getting an A on your exam.
1: right. And then you feel valued. You feel valuable. And instead of the drugs and alcohol giving you pleasure, you get pleasure because another person says you are amazing. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help kids recognize they can do that for each other at every moment in time. You know, we were talking off air about how alcoholism has brought entire civilizations down. Tom, you want to just?
2: Oh, that's right. Because uh, one of my special interests is, you know, history, specifically most intensely the Mongol Empire, and alcoholism played a major part in its downfall. Wow. In Mongol culture, really the only drink available at the time was uh, called irag or kumis, hmm. which is fermented mare's milk. It's uh, not very strong, so. You would just drink, chug it. It was, like, lighter than light beer, the lightest beer. And so you could drink it all night long. And because it was an alcoholic beverage, all the lactose was out, so it wouldn't cause issues. But as the empire expanded, they were covering territories that had rice wine,
0: hmm.
2: red wine, beer. And so they were drinking it as they would iraq.
1: Wow. Wow
2: and they would develop alcohol dependency. And Genghis Khan was never an alcoholic, and he preached, you know, temperance. But his third son, who was his direct heir, Ogade, had a massive problem with alcohol. His wife, Torjan, made him promise to cut down to one cup a day. And Ogade hired a silversmith, made the biggest cup they'd ever (laughs) seen. (laughs) And ultimately, you know, his health issues killed him. And in many, many Khans that dozens didn't, Rain for two years. Wow. Because of their health problems. See, it,
1: it's part of who we are as human beings. There's a desire to feel pleasure, mm-hmm. but it's how you get it that's going to be important. Hey, look, we were talking a bit about resolutions before. What about you guys? Mark, you got a resolution?
0: Uh, yes. So, it, in its most simple state, it's smile more. Okay. Right? Because if you smile, the world will smile back. But in reality, it's digging deep into the concept of enormous optimism. Um, I'm a very optimistic person and I like to spread that, but there's often times where other people push that down Hmm. and my goal this year is to turn that noise off and keep pushing forward with enormous amounts of optimism to kind of quiet that realist, that pessimist, if you will, and just continue with, optimism optimism optimism
1: and look at all the stuff that you've created with that styles law you know I got a chance to to see your house the other day it's beautiful I mean the, the things that you're doing the creative process it's incredible thank what about you. you what about you Tom
2: well uh, there's always the long-standing health ones you know lose weight steadier sleep schedule but also creatively I've been lazy on my own creative projects. Mm. Uh, This year, I'm gonna write a screenplay, a sequel to the screenplay I wrote about four years ago now. I'm going to travel more. Good. Because I... But
1: not on Thursdays.
2: Not on Thursdays. (laughs) He can (laughs) zoom
1: in. He can zoom in, of course he can. I'll teleport.
0: Yep, I'll teleport.
2: Actually, no, that won't won't last this month. I'll be in uh, Tennessee.
0: Oh, good. My resolution last year was to teach and to share and to give. And a lot of people said, you're crazy. Why are you giving all of your knowledge away for free? You know, people aren't gonna need you. And the reality of it is, is all it did was bring me credibility and they you know, I've, I'm giving them information, sure. And the, and the ultimate goal at Styles Law is, is that we wanna try to create these stress-free experiences. You know, we've talked about in life-changing moments such as buying or selling your home. We want to reduce the stress. And what we've decided is that an educated consumer is a confident consumer. Absolutely. A confident consumer is less stressed right. and anxious. And you know what? When you're less stressed and anxious, you're less
1: limbic. Right. Which means you're now more prefrontal and you're able to think things through a lot more. Stress in and of itself blocks. Absolutely. Creates cortisol creates all sorts of different health problems over time. It's, it's something. But you
0: don't think rationally. You, th- you, you think short term. You think irrationally, right. I'm go- where if you just took a step back and said, is it really worth having this argument, Right. you would realize, no, it's not. But the knowledge that they have going in, they see all of this, and they feel good about it, but they're still not comfortable doing it themselves to my competitors who told me I was crazy doing this. Yeah. They're, they're not going to do it themselves. They appreciate that information, but now we have the credibility behind it that they want to work with us.
1: Yep, It's great. It's an I am a yeah. whole nother Thanks IM. to
0: McCoy Entertainment at the Studio B at 892. Right. Thomas, right. McCoy at gmail.com. Able to get the information out there. Yeah. Hey Ben, what about you?
3: Resolutions? Well, I'm not usually one for resolutions, but to, to resonate what you guys were saying, I mean, I, I do try to live by the uh, do as much good as you can right now because you're probably not going to walk this path again. So along with what you were saying, Mark, uh, I always try to be a generally good person, share as much happiness and love as I can wherever I go, whether that's difficult, easy, situation-dependent, obviously. The world is a wild place sometimes. And... Uh, yeah just generally be a better person, bring as many people up around me as I possibly can and uh, I think I think I'm doing a good job of it. I haven't had anybody tell me I'm not, so ben well, is
0: pretty good. He's great and he's a he's an enormously optimistic person too every time I see him. I've never seen him you know say a negative thing or right. or look you know e or ish if you will. No. and Ben, you have a duty. you have a duty to share that and spread it and muffle out the other noises so that this planet can be enormously optimistic.
3: And I appreciate you saying that, you know, as long as we know that there are still good people out there on this planet doing just that, I know there's a a few of us left at least, not nearly as many as we would like, but teaching, learning, bringing well, we up, can, just like we, we were help saying, we can create more though.
1: And that's what it is. You control no one, you influence yeah. everyone. Small changes can have big effects. Those are the two rules of the I AM. And so one of the things that I'm asking people to do is just say thank you to someone every day. Yeah. Just remind someone of their value gratitude. every day. It's the gratitude, right, gratitude. It's so important. Makes and I, feel and valuable. I, and I want people also to recognize that just because you have a resolution doesn't mean that you've failed at something. It doesn't mean that you're broken or inadequate. You know, you want to solve a new problem or you want to solve an old problem, that doesn't mean that you are less than because that's just going to manifest your stress response, your cortisol level, and you're, you're going to get more frustrated and potentially feel less valuable.
2: You're turning all your could have beens to still could be's.
0: That's right. Very nice. Mm. Mm. It, resolutions are funny. They are funny. Peop, and, and people's reaction to them are funny. You know, they're, you know, sometimes you ask people, what's their res?" I don't do that. I'm not going to do that, but it's fun, right? I mean, yes, I get what they're saying. Like, why do why does January first have to be so significant? You know, why can't December twelfth be significant? Mm-hmm. I get it. There's a book we read uh, recently called The Twelve Week Year. He debunked the whole concept of, you know, annualizing everything. Right. So you have a quota, and you have to meet that quota by the end of the year. And if you meet that quota by October, what do you do? Right. I guess you don't do anything else for the rest of the year, right? I mean, obviously, you knock it out of the park, and and but then, then my quota is going to be bigger next year, and I don't want to do that, so I'm going to pull back or my budget, right? I've got to spend out the budget because if I don't spend the budget, then they're going to take the budget away from me. So there's these annualized, uh, fictitious goals that people set, and this book talks about, you know, let's shrink down and have a 12 week year, Mm. you know, do that, have that same mindset, but do it in 12 weeks and Mm. then do it again 12 weeks later. Right. So, um, I understand why people poo poo the whole resolution concept and, you know, the jokes are out already. It's, you know, January 9th and all the gyms are emptying out again, you know, but it's fun. Why not? Right. Why not turn the page? Why not Try something new, right? It, it, Otherwise, it's just the stale same old.
1: And it's also using your prefrontal cortex because when you really have a resolution that you intend on following through, you have to have a plan. Right. And that's exactly where we want our kids to be. We want our kids to be thinking about what will happen next, not to get stressed out about it, but to recognize they have this remarkable opportunity. To really do something in the future that they feel good about that other people recognize
0: now and I didn't think of this until I saw it but now I'm spreading the word Um, when you're dating a document you you want to fill out all four numbers now because for example today being January 9th if you would normally do one nine two oh Right? It's not uncommon for other people to have been using four digits for the year. They could say one nine two oh and add one uh, nine. So they've backdated your document by a year. Wow. So everybody, it's on. We're kind of like Europe now. We're gonna throw all four digits out there. So it's it's 2020 and next year it's 2021.
3: Does that mean we're switching to the official uh, day first, then month, then year? Or are we keeping no, it no, the traditional that, you know, month, funny. day, yeah. year? Not or yet, year, month, day. Not yet, but think about it. I mean, it would be,
0: it 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 would be, nerve wracking for this year if people were, you know, because it would be like uh, one nine nineteen. Mm.
3: Is this a document from the year two thousand? Right, could be, right.
0: Twenty twenty, hindsight. It, I love the symbolism of twenty twenty. Right? Yes, because it's vision. Right the now, vision. we're looking forward. It's about vision. Yeah.
1: Right. And you know, it's in 1920, women got the right to vote. Wow. I mean, it's there's you know a hundred years, of uh, women, you know, the suffragette movement was was all big and strong, and and that needs to be recognized as well. Mm-hmm. A lot has happened, a lot has happened, but where do we go from here? You know, and that's there what's exciting, go. and that's why that's why I really hope people. Can embrace the I am approach, because I I'd like to think that the I am approach is shifting our brains to the prefrontal cortex. It really is helping us look again at why we do what we do. You know, look again, again, look, respect why we do what we do. And there is, I think, a problem in the world right now that we are really not very respectful for a lot of people. That, that these large groups of people are disrespecting other large groups of people. And if that keeps going, it can result in dehumanizing one group. So another group just sees another as not even human anymore. And you know where that leads. That leads to really, really dangerous right. dark dark side of who we are, right. you know? On the other hand, we can look at why people do what they do. It's so much more interesting to know and wonder. You can have a conversation with someone. You you don't have to agree with them, but I I have had experiences where I learn something every time I talk with a person instead of being angry with them. Every time there's something to learn about a person. This is the great privilege I have being a psychiatrist is I get to sit with people and hear their stories, their narrative about what has been going on with them, And it is an honor, it really is. And I just, I I just really want people to think about implying this, applying this in your own
0: world. So how do they do that?
1: Well, it's really not as difficult as it seems. No, it's
0: not, but let's let's break
1: it down for people. So remember, the I am is saying we're always doing the best we can, but we're influenced by four domains. Your home, the social domain, the biological domain, and what I call the I see. How I see myself, how I think other people see me. Tom was referring it to uh, early on in our conversation today. When you really use those four domains and you can begin wondering why a person is doing what they're doing, you get an opportunity to reflect instead of being reflexive. You can be prefrontal and thinking instead of being limbic and irrational and emotional. And I really believe it's part of who we are as human beings. We have the capacity in us. It's just that we have restricted it to one group versus another. And that's what we're seeing over and over again. And, Tom, I agree with you. I think part of it uh, has been amplified because of asocial media. Because when we when we miss that cue with each other, the actual relationship. We can uh, do all sorts of things because that is part of who we are. That is part of our human brain. It's the limbic part. But we can teach people how to do it. So that's what I'm really hoping we do. I wanna get back to the skiing. Okay. Because you're using it, uh, which I
0: am very appreciative
1: of, uh, in coaching. And and tell me what, what's been going so, on.
0: So, <clears throat> so I'm coaching all of the coaches that are between the ages of 16 and 18. And they're coaching kids that are anywhere from the ages of five to 13. Hmm. And they don't have a mature prefrontal cortex, the right. coaches. Right. And what I'm realizing uh, from the Dr. Joe show is that these five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds certainly don't. So what I'm trying to help do is help the 16 to 18 year olds understand what's going on in the minds of the five to 12 year olds. And talking Mm. about respect, right? Look again, remember when you were six. Mm. Remember the time that that kid was mean to you when you were six, Mm. can you empathize? Can you feel with them and get into their minds and help? And do you remember, and this is a harder one to talk about, but do you remember being mean to that other kid? Mm. And can you remember why, how it made you feel? Sure, we talked about Freud and Freud one day. Sure, it made you feel a little bit better, but get. Guess, guess what? Try to make that kid feel really good, and it's going to make you feel really good. Right, So the schoidenfreude, Freud, the kid slips and falls and you laugh or you throw a snowball at him, you make him feel bad. You feel a little slight feeling of goodness because that's the human nature, that's the Freud, Freud we were talking about. But if you really help that kid and make that kid feel welcome and valued, that kid feels good. Yep. Which makes you feel really good, not just kinda good, really good, and guess what? there's someone else sitting there who sees this and feels good too yeah so it becomes this this party of good and so teaching the 16 to 18 year olds which is why i was telling you about the brain development clip that i sent to them and i wanted to simplify it because it's so important for them to understand this and not feel like i'm lecturing and that's been the biggest challenge is that I've never coached this age. Mm. I've never really, I mean, other than being that age, never really was a part of it, right? I have a 17-year-old now, so again, I'm learning with these other kids saying, okay, my children aren't outliers, right? They are just like all these other kids whose brain is still developing. So it's scientific. It's not them intentionally you know, saying what they're saying, they don't have a mature enough brain to stop and f- focus and 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 uh, and say what should be said, right? What should be said? Who knows? But they're saying what comes out of their mouth, right? So, do you think? I mean, if you were to ask the and these are quote unquote good kids, yeah, right, raised by good right. families,
1: right. If you were to
0: ask the
1: kids that you're coaching, which of your students trust you the most? Is it the kid who you threw the snowball at and sort of made fun of, or the kid who you praised, even if they weren't the best skier on your team?
0: Well, I don't think any of the coaches are throwing the snowball you. No, no, you're Right, no, no, okay. No, no, so I was talking about kids no, without no, kids. No, no, okay? of course.
1: But, but ask them, you know, what's it like to be trusted? Which of your students which of your kids that you're coaching trust you the most and why
0: trust you or follow you and idolize you and and some of those is i don't think
1: you can you can have someone follow you and idolize you if on some level you don't trust them
0: so one of the topics we had (coughs) you you will appreciate this was on uh, Sunday so the Patriots played on Saturday right uh, we're local to New England Yep. and I put on my Patriots hat and went up to the because the group session is, is above uh, all of the meeting center and I went upstairs and I pointed out my hat and I said who's giving up on them mm. they lost are we gonna give up on them and then you know Adults come in, right? Because it's not a le- just for the kids. So they, it's, I'm trying to create a community within the community. So, it's great. hey, coaches it's great. these are these are our future leaders. Can we help them? And can you help with your wisdom? And we did a whole thing on wisdom and all that. So some of the adults are really getting involved too, which is awesome. That because, is awesome. Because the, it, it I was talking to trees. I mean, there there was when you talk about the the formulaic of uh, or the or the um, the, the rate of change, you know, re- deny, resist, experiment, adopt, getting a full on resistance, right? Because these kids, some of them have coached, some of them were in the program. It's like, why is this guy here? Why is he telling us this? Why is, so having them get involved and immerse themselves in it and, and support what I'm doing has been tremendous. But so I say, would you throw, would you toss your kid out if, you, if they got a C on an exam? You mm-hmm. know, would you just put push them aside And said, "So, coaches, leaders, what? Where? Where am I going with this?" And they realized, you know, are we going to just toss this kid away, right? Mm -hmm. Because there are kids six years old with, you know, adjusted upbringings. If, but we don't know, right? We have no idea what their home domain actually is. And I've spoken about the home domain, but now that we're they're in this social domain, you know, maybe they're trying to isolate themselves from the group for some reason. Are you just gonna cast him aside and say, we, we got to move him out. He's not getting along with everybody. Are we, we just got to push him out of the group because he's not fitting in and all the other kids don't like him. Well, why? Right? Right You know And it's, it's, it's working slowly but surely. We're still early in the season and but the, slowly the kids are, you know, so I'm trying to get feedback from my supervisor, right. So what are they, you know, what what's the feedback? Well, it's repetitive, you know, and she's a teacher, so she's like good. Good. You know, that's what it's supposed to be mm. until it is ingrained in your brain. Right. You know. So it's been really fun, really rewarding, really challenging. It it's
1: it's great and what's wonderful is that as you are teaching these things there's more and more buy-in and there would not be buy-in if it didn't resonate as true right and as real and as valuable right because it is It's a way that we treat each other that can just bring the best out of someone instead of putting them down mm. you know there was there was a really interesting study done where, um, there was a classroom of kids that were having real difficulty with their teachers. Really difficult. Um, and these kids were about to go on to the next year. But the teacher that they were going to go to was told, These are the best kids I've ever seen. Ah. They're the brightest kids. They're the, the most creative kids. And that's how that teacher treated them. Wow. And they. Lived up to it. They Pygmalion blossomed. Effect. The Pygmalion effect. But the difference with pyg- the Pygmalion effect is, is you know, you you bringing people along and seeing them as valuable, and that's part of what the I am is about, and that's what I worry about in our world is that if we continue to put each other down, don't be surprised if we just continue to perpetuate this world in which it's one group versus another. And if we don't win, we just got to do more so that we can beat the other group. Don't want to do that. We have a lot of people on our side, and we can do that. You remember Christopher Sarson? Yeah. Who was, you know, my, from Zoom? He, he, after Zoom and all that stuff, he got involved in a group called Roots of Empathy. Um, and the Roots of Empathy group have a strategy of how to build empathy because really that's part of what, what it is, right? The, the IC domain how I see myself, how I think other people see me. The first part is empathy. How do I see other people? It's empathy. How are you feeling? What we really wanna know is what are you thinking about me? And so by using empathy, we can have other people see us as empathic and valuable, and that's a trait that we want in our kids and each other. So what the Roots of Empathy does is they will get mothers and fathers volunteering to come into classrooms with their newborns with their little little babies these babies who are vulnerable and the like pre-K kids the kindergartners begin interacting with these babies under supervision but they begin realizing wow this is a vulnerable human being and i can make them smile and that is really cool so how do we do it i i have nine-year-old patients who understand the i am because you know if you if you go on onto our facebook page you go to the podcast you'll see the i am logo um and it's a visual way so you can really understand the way these four domains just interact with each other and people say well what does i am stand for and it, it really is this is who i am and i matter It's important. I was thinking about all the words we have in our English language that start with I am. And one of them that came to mind was immigrant. And if you think about it, you break it down, I am migrant. Because we're all migrant. We're all moving. We're all immigrants. We're one group. It's called humanity. One group. So how do we get kids to really understand this? I believe that it is intuitive, and it is part of who we are as human beings to care about somebody else. And we see this at very, very young age, that other people, because they are feeling cared for, they can care. Remember we had um, uh, Ed Jacobs on the show talking about ACEs and adverse childhood experiences? This was part of the dilemma So when a kid is faced in a situation, either with their home or their social domain, where they are being seen or feeling less valuable, that activates their biological domain. The cortisol response. they're under stress, and then they shut down that ability to care what other people think or feel because they don't want to know what they think or feel about them. Remember, the IC comes in two parts. It's saying, We care what other people think or feel, but the most important thing is what do you think or feel about me? And I think from an evolutionary point of view, it makes sense that the first part that happens as we develop is what are you thinking about me? And later, we can wonder what other people think or feel because when we were evolving, it was much more important to know if someone was looking at me as their lunch than if they were hungry. The first part is how do you see me? The second part is how I see you. And that's why as an adult or as a teenager or as a little kid, when you can see someone else as valuable, that then helps influence that person that you're seeing to feel differently, to feel valued by you, which increases your value. So this is a small change we can all make. The small change we can make is just to remind someone of their value every day. Even if it's a complete stranger that you're buying something from or you're at work with or somebody, you can say to them, hey, that was a great job. Watch how they respond. Watch how they respond and then recognize how you feel about it.
0: And think about that. I mean, it's almost quasi-selfish. Right.
1: They're, yeah. We, this We're is talking a, about that with charity.
0: Yeah. Go ahead. What do you mean? With the feeling of – because I want that feeling. I want that oxytocin mm-hmm. f- to flow through my body. And I constantly want – I'm addicted to the feeling of oxytocin. So how do I get it? By making other people right. get it. Right. And when I can make them feel good, it keeps flowing. And for me, there's a sense of selfishness there because it's it's what I want. But it it's good <laughs> – it's like a self-affirmation. It's, it's good for it's like, humanity. W- look what I can do.
2: Right.
1: And yet somehow selfishness has this connotation that ne- it is negative. negative. And that by by being selfish, it implies I've taken from someone else. But that's not what's happening in this case, is it? You're not taking anything from somebody else. You're giving something right. to them. And because of that, you feel good. And this is part of the way we have evolved as a species. We do have this biological domain that when we want to tap into it and we do something nice with someone else, we feel great. Why aren't we doing more of
0: that? Right. Because they don't know. Some people just don't know.
1: And knowledge is power. Yeah. And that's what we're going to be doing. So I got, you know, we got a few minutes left. Okay. Questions for the two of you. We've been talking about resolutions. We've been talking about the I am approach. Small changes have big effects. How about you, Mark?
0: Again, to continuously be enormously optimistic. Whether it's a, it, it is a self-fulfilling selfishness, right? That that uh, quandary that I'm in, but to lighten up the room, right? Because everybody comes into the room with their own I am, right? right. And I don't know what it is. Right. But if I can make them feel better, then they can feel better. But they can trust you.
1: See, that's what it is. When you respect someone and you show them that you see them as valuable, then they can trust you. I mean, I've, I've had an opportunity to go over to your workplace, and those people that work for you love being there because I, I know they feel respected and valued and that's what a really good manager is right a good manager is somebody who says hey you're really good at this show me what you got because I can't wait to see I can't wait to see what you got as opposed to oh no no you should be doing this and do it this way and you know better not do that don't do that you know no <laughs> the loyalty that you get from people when you just say you know what I really believe it. I believe in you. I cannot wait to see what you
0: do next. How cool is that? So cool. It's great music coming on here.
1: Yeah. I hear it. I hear it. One day we'll play the whole song. <laughs> hey, this has been great. Let's have a great new next year. Next week,
0: we have a special guest. We have a very special guest. Can I announce him? I think this one we can.
1: Ed Perry. Who is the creator and founder of WATD, and who is building a radio
0: empire. And we had him on a show a couple years ago, and I cannot wait yeah. to talk to that guy again. He All right. Him. All right. Tom, Mark, Ben. Have a great week. Great week. See you next week. bye